Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bills by the Numbers, where we let the stats tell you where the Bills are at. We're presented by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Coming up, is there a viable plan B for Buffalo's offense when what they do best isn't going well? We discuss. And we talk Giants with John Schmelk from Giants Radio on what we can expect Sunday night in Week 6. Let's get this thing back on the rails! Happy to have you with us here on Bills by the Numbers. Bills Wall of Famer Steve Tasker, Bills Insider Chris Brown with you. And after watching the Bills offense struggle to find a rhythm in Week 5, we felt it necessary to discuss what the alternative approach should be when they are unable to execute their primary game plan. Teams have to shift their approach from time to time when their initial plan just isn't working. To this point, success has been found with a short to intermediate pass game predicated on quick throws, more 12 personnel this year than last year. Their run game for the most part has been better, though it wasn't in week five. They steered away from play action last week. Play action has been very fruitful for them. But in the grand scheme of things, Steve, when they when what they do best isn't working, what do we think should be plan B for this offense? Yeah, I, when, you, when you get into tough spots and you get into certain situations in the field, and old coaches used to tell me this, we're not thinking plays. We're not thinking run pass or short pass. Long, we're thinking players. And that's kind of what we're talking about. You need somebody you can depend on. Certainly, uh, Kincaid and Knox are in this mix. So is James Cook. And they will. They have been effective this point in the season, particularly in, you mentioned in the run game. So I don't think you, you worry too much about you know, Ken Dorsey saying, wow, I wish we had a short passing game. Well, they got a short passing game. They've got mm-hmm. an intermediate passing game. They've got, a long, they've got a deep ball that they can go to and the quarterback that can pull the trigger. What we're thinking of right now is players, and that's a short list. It's Diggs, Davis, Kincaid, Dalton, and Cook. Uh, Certainly you can go down and say maybe James Hardy or Trent Shurfield, but at this point you're looking at those top five guys that are on the field a lot. And I'm – given the fact that in the first, you know, weeks two through five, those guys were really humming, there's no reason to think that they're not going to be able to to recapture that uh, after a performance that was less than stellar in week six or week five. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying. You know, get the ball in your playmaker's hands. We heard head coach Sean McDermott say that this week. You know, they have to get into a rhythm early, and you do that by getting the ball in your playmaker's hands sooner rather than later. And sometimes we hear this refrain from Bills fans who get frustrated when maybe the offense doesn't perform up to snuff. You have to scheme guys open. You have to scheme them open. like that. And maybe the, and I'm not saying that isn't a part of – you know, the whole ball of wax here. Um, play action has done an enormous... Uh, it's it's produced in a big way for this team. I mean, they, they used it sparingly against the Jags last week, but even when they did, it was successful. I think they were perfect passing out of it. And knowing the Jags linebackers were coming downhill every time Josh was in the shotgun and did the sprint draw to James Cook... I was a little surprised they didn't turn to that more. To me, you got you, you see that on film, right? And you, you say, okay, <laughs> this has worked really well for us. Here are the numbers that prove it against a multitude of opponents. Let's get back to that. Like, right. is, is, is there any reason you wouldn't? Yeah, no, unless, unless – and I'll say this too. I, 
Um, as long as, and I don't want to knock on wood big time here because we've had injuries on this team already right, to the defensive side, as long as the offensive line stays healthy, this team's going to have a chance with Josh and these playmakers. They're going to be fine because they're going to be able to score with people. And you're right. Um, it's frustrating when you get into a bad game and nothing's working. The, the problem with this last Jacksonville game, and it's the problem with a lot of these losses we see the Bills take by one score or three points or two points, and you know, which has been indicative of the losses they've taken in the regular season the last couple of years. You get into it and you think, you think they, something's not working. And the problem is, is when you go back and look at it, they got guys that they could get the ball to. And for whatever reason, Josh has to hitch step or one guy gets loose on the – the scheme is not the – it's execution and or choice that Josh makes, either making a missed throw or getting a guy, hitting, putting the ball behind him where it's an, a completion rather than a big play, that kind of stuff. So I'm not – you know, this as, – as sick – and, and you know, as you know, as as out of kilter as the offense looked against Jacksonville, they're not far off from being the exact same team that they were hanging right. forty-seven points on the Miami Dolphins. In. I think what troubles people, and we discussed this on our daily show, One Bills Live last week, with such a high rate of efficiency that the offense put on display for three straight weeks, we were concerned about how sustainable that is because it was so high, so efficient, uh, so dominating. And doing that for 17 weeks in the league is one thing, and I don't think anybody expected it, but the variance, I think, is mm -hmm. what concerns fans the most because we're going on three or four years now where this is one of the highest-scoring teams in football year over year, but interspersed in there, they have two, or three, games, two or three games. 12-point game, 10-point game, yeah. That are so far below what all the others are. And I think they say this, Steve, this is the concern because I've heard it from them. Jacksonville's a good opponent. I don't know if anyone would call their defense elite. Right. What happens when they face an elite defense that stymies what Buffalo's perceived strength is? Like I'm thinking of, you know, a Philadelphia or a Dallas, for example. You know, what happens then? Maybe they maybe they look poor, they don't look as good as they usually do and you can understand it. I think when you see this variance of play, against a defense like Jacksonville, which is a good defense, but not elite. They, they worry, and I understand why. And it's an execution thing more than a scheme thing. Again, I get it, but it's not going to calm the nerves of Bills yeah, fans well, when they see it. If it was all easy, it wouldn't be any fun. I mean, you're going to have to give some credit to some of these teams, and they're going to make some plays against right. the Bills. No question about it. But know this. You've got a quarterback that can out-athleticize and, and put a cape on and out perform the, an elite defense. We've seen him do it before. Yeah, uh, You've got to play well against them, no question about it. Everybody's got to play well against an elite team, uh, but that's what really good teams do, and the Bills are that. And at times, the Bills are elite offensively. We've seen it already this season in three straight weeks right before the Jacksonville game. Mm -hmm. You know you've got one of the best playmaking quarterbacks in the game today. You've got one of the elite wide receivers in the game today. You've got one of the best offensive lines in the game today. And just because they have a day like they did in, ja in London doesn't mean that's changed. So, yeah, every team can go out and throw a stinker. The Bills do it once in a while. There's no question about it. But you got to know, against a team, uh, against most opponents, when things are on schedule, they're in their own building, 
it's a one o'clock or a night game on a Sunday, they're going to show up and they're re- and it it couldn't have gone worse for the Bills' offense. And it was all Jacksonville could do to hang on by this by their fingernails to get a one possession victory. That's how good this team is. We thought, and Bills fans, you said it. They are going crazy over how bad the Bills looked. They lost by five points right. to a team that had been waiting on them for two weeks. And what you know, and right. I, so well, and I think so. It, it, calm down. Well, yeah, but maybe this is more of a byproduct of how high the bar is that this team has set for itself. And so when they don't come within two degrees of that bar, people <clears throat> yeah. are like, "What's wrong?" God. Oh my God! And you know, they got people now saying, "Well, we should. We got to trade for a guy. We got to get a top flight corner. We got to make the no, no, no. Calm down. Yeah, this is the team we have. Get behind it. Don't wish for a different team. Don't wish for them to bring in different players. This is the team we have. These are the guys that this coaching staff and this GM and these players believe in. They, they. This is a team that they believe in. They can go and beat anybody." Don't ask him. Don't change. Don't want. Wish for a different team. This is a really good one. So you don't. Don't start looking for the life raft. You don't need it. You haven't hit an iceberg in the middle of the Atlantic. Right. right. You know. So just this is a this is a good roster. It's a deep roster just for this reason. Yeah. These reasons, and they're they're going to be able to sustain this better. And you look around. Look at the team they're playing this week in the Giants. Injuries are going to be a problem for everybody. Just count on it. But the Bills are in a position to handle it better than most teams are. All right, so let's flip it around to that defense that you referenced. Now that they've got some holes to fill due to injury with three starters now out indefinitely, it's about it's a matter of trusting your depth. And I think they're going to be perfectly fine at defensive tackle. Puna Ford's been inactive the last three weeks. He is going to step in and step up. He's a proven starter in this league. I don't really think player. they lose a whole lot there. He's a really good player. Now, Daquan's a great player, and he's been disruptive. Yes. It'll be different, but don't think it's going to look bad. Right. I don't think there's going to be a tremendous drop-off there at all. Um, corner's getting a little dicey because uh, yes. we found out this week that Dane, ja- Dane Jackson has a foot injury. So now you've got Kyrie Elam. You're wondering, is Christian Benfrey going to be healthy enough to get back in the lineup? What is Dane's situation the rest of the week? So you're, it's a little squirrely there. You have Jamarcus Ingram on the pack practice squad. He was a practice squad elevation last week. Presumably he'll be this week, knowing that Dane and Benford are like finding their way back to 100%. And then linebacker A.J. Klein's on the active roster now. He's a proven veteran, but he has limitations to his game. And then you have Dorian Williams and Tyrell Dotson working in the mix there too. How do you kind of see that all shaking out? Is it a... Let's see how this guy does. Like, there's some experimentation that's going to have to go on the next couple of weeks, right? Right. That's right. And and there'll be an adjustment period, and and McDermott will be all over this, and the defensive staff will be all over it as well. They're going to have a different set of skills out there than they had when Tre'Davious White and Benford were out there, or or Benford and Dane Jackson. So uh, they're going to get acclimated to what this team does well defensively in the back end, and plus Micah Hyde and Poy are going to be back there as well. So that's a safety net, and, and they'll be able to communicate it. Taron Johnson's still going to be out there. He's going to be all right. Um, I think the young athleticism of these linebackers may be something that buoys this back end a little more than we thought they could. 
Yeah. Um, Dorian Williams and Christian Ben or Terrell Bernard. Oh. Uh, those guys can are they can run and they can run and hit. Um, you and I were laughing on the regular show. You know when Dorian Williams got out there, he saw it pretty well. He was get he, he was way he was just coming in too hot. He was hot. way coming in too hot. He saw his his adrenaline was off the charts, and it, once he can take a deep breath and start to play within himself, he'll be better. When he doesn't fly around like like yeah. a ping pong ball, so. There's every there is going to be an adjustment period. I think we have to wait and see as to what the coaches feel like they have and what they can do, uh, because this there may be some things that they can do better than they could a week or two ago because of the athleticism of these guys. We'll see. If you think the Bills have problems, wait till you see what their opponent is dealing with this week in the New York Giants. For more on the lowdown of what's been ailing them, we have Giants pre and post game radio host and co host of the Big. Blue Kickoff Podcast. It's John Schmelk. All right, John, let's begin here. Obviously, Daniel Jones leaves last week's game with a neck injury. I know head coach Brian Dable sounded more optimistic than maybe some people thought about him being able to play, but what do you think the chances are, you know, as we get closer to the weekend that he's able to suit up? Are we feeling pretty good about that? Or Yeah, I think they're pretty positive about it, to be honest with you. The worry is that he suffered a neck injury, and again, we don't know the exact details of it, that forced him to miss the final month of the 2021 season. So you hope this isn't a repeat of that. It doesn't appear to be, because when he came in on Monday, he was feeling a lot better. I saw him walking around the facility on Monday, and you wouldn't know anything was wrong with him just watching him walk around. You know, it's not like he's wearing one of those big neck collars or anything like that. Yeah. Like He walked around, and he looked fine. So I think the Giants are fairly optimistic that he should be good to go. Now, the hope is that they can protect him well enough so he remains good to go throughout that game against the Bills team that leads the league in sacks. And what about Saquon Barkley? He's been out for three weeks, had the, the muscle strain, and you know, you'd, three weeks is getting close to being a question mark at least, right? Yeah, absolutely. He, he's gone up to game day for, for two straight weeks. Two weeks ago, he was doubtful. Last week, he was questionable. He was kind of ruled out that, that morning, according to reports, but he did work out before the game. So I think he's getting there. He's really important. You know, Saquon's had ankle injuries before. It's something he's trying to come back from. And they're trying not to bring him back too early. So he looks like himself when he is back on the field. My guess is that we're going to be sitting there on Sunday waiting for that pregame workout to see if he's ready to go. I think he's got a real legit shot. Okay, so <laughs> is that enough to fix what has been ailing, you know, an offense that is languishing at the bottom of the league in several categories? I realize it starts up front and the injuries to the offensive line. Would you label that the biggest hindrance to what's gone on through five games this season? Yeah, Saquon helps, but he doesn't, you know, he isn't a salve that fixes everything, unfortunately, because of those issues up front. Um, there was a great stat that I saw Pro Football Focus put out, Sam Monson, that last year the most pressures an offensive line allowed, not a team, an offensive line allowed was something like 212. The Giants are on pace to allow more than 300 pressures from their offensive line this year. It's just very difficult for an offense to function. When that's the case. Now, if you have a really good running game to stay out of third and longs, you can run play action a little bit better with a guy like Saquon Barkley in there. That will help the cause. But it really is the injuries up front that I really think has hindered this team as much, if not more, than the Saquon injury. You know, Andrew Thomas, the left tackle, he hurt his hamstring in week one. He's practiced once since then and basically shut it down right away because it didn't feel well. Uh, so I think you have to see where he's at with practice on Wednesday and Thursday. 
Uh, I feel better about both Saquon and Daniel than I do about him. John Michael Schmitz hurt his shoulder two two weeks ago uh, on the first drive on one of those tush-push plays, and he has not practiced since. So we'll keep an eye on him this week. That's forced Ben Bredesen to move to center kind of out of position. Then one of their backup guards, Marcus McKeithen, got hurt last week. They had to bring in Jalen Mayfield off the practice squad. Needless to say, it's been a bit of a mess. So that will have to get better if this offense is going to function at a higher level. Because right now, the quarterback, whether it's been Daniel Jones or Tyrod Taylor, has been running for their lives on most plays. And then I think it's taken a mental toll on Daniel, too, where, you know, even when there is protection, he gets to that first read, maybe the second, and his legs are telling him, dude, get out of this pocket. It's not safe for you in here. So those are the things that have to get better if this Giants offense wants to pick up. And on the other side of the ball, tell us a little bit about their defense, the vibe coming out of that. You've still got some, some pretty salty customers on the defensive side. Yeah, and I think most of their damage is, is going to be done up front um, when they play well. Their two defensive tackles, Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, are both still very good disruptive players. Even though they don't have the sack numbers to show up, their pressure numbers are strong. Kayvon Thibodeau's up to four sacks off the edge, though I still think you want to see more consistent pressure down in, down out from him. And then Aziz Ojolari, he missed a couple games with a hamstring, but since he's been back, he kind of looks like his explosive self off the edge. So that's where the Giants do most of their damage. I think you'll see the matchup outside with their corners a lot. They play a ton of man-to-man defense. I think you'll see a Dory Jackson, the veteran, on Stefan Diggs for a lot of this game. And I think you'll see Deontay Banks, the rookie, on Gabe Davis. That's kind of how they've worked it the last couple of weeks. And then Xavier McKinney is their playmaking safety. So while the numbers and the stats on defense have not been there, they forced their first takeaways last week, turning the Dolphins over three times in that game. You know, those come in bunches. They hope to continue that. But they also gave up 500 yards and three quarters against Miami last week, and they've given up way too many big plays. So that's something that they're looking to clean up. They blitz a lot with Wink Martindale. They want to generate pressure, but that puts their defensive backs and linebackers on islands, which has burnt them a little bit this year. Yeah, because I was going to say, I know they're still pressuring at the second highest rate in the league, John, and they're getting some level of success, but is it the typical measure of pressure like are they getting as much pressure as they aim to get by blitzing that much because you're mentioning these big plays are happening so in my head I'm saying okay they're pressuring a lot but are they getting home enough I think the answer to that is no so far to be honest with you you know their pressure numbers are are fine they're right in the middle of the league if you look at PFF's rankings but again that's generated from all those design blitz and they you know and the only reason they're not first is because uh the Vikings are, are blitzing at a at a historic rate. So, no, they are not getting enough pressure uh, either with those blitzes or organically. When they don't blitz, their guys are not you know getting to the quarterback quick enough. And frankly, I don't think they're covering well enough to to force the quarterback to hold the ball to give those blitzes and you know pass rushers time to get home. So I, I do think it works hand in hand there in terms of complementary football, but. No, I, I don't think that formula has worked the way they, they would the way they would have liked to see it work so far this year. The last one from me, John. Just give us a, a you know a ten thousand foot view of this Giants organization where it's at. And last year they overachieved, got to the playoffs, won a playoff game. Um, certainly a nice honeymoon phase for Dayball and this staff. A, a very well respected coaching staff. Where are they at right now? I mean, there's you know obviously they're almost dead in the water. Uh, they beat the Arizona Cardinals coming from way behind. I mean. Th- you know, where do the, you know, the fan base, the leadership of the Giants organization, where are they at right now? Uh, I'd say the, I'd say for the fans based on, you know, 
we host a similar show to you guys do where we take calls every day. Uh, I, I think the fans are, are, are off the honeymoon train at this point, <laughs> unfortunately, and understandably so. Look, they, they, they've started the season poorly at one and four. Uh, you know, it's been a confluence of factors that have attributed to that. You know, they lost their literally two most important players on offense besides the quarterback and, and Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas. They're starting all pro left tackle. And they've p- played a combination of teams that have some of the fiercest defenses in the league, like the Dallas Cowboys and the San Francisco 49ers. They get the top offense in football last week uh, in Miami. So it, it's not the stretch of schedule you want to be missing two of your best players. And throw on top of that, it's been rotating, you know, musical chairs on the offensive line against some really good pass rushes. And they just, nothing's worked. It's one of those stretches of schedule where nothing's worked. And you hope as you get some of these guys back healthy, and I know the Bills have have suffered a bunch of injuries on defense here too, that you can just get something going on offense consistently. I mean, they're down at 11 points per game, guys. You're just not going to win games doing that, regardless of what the rest of your team is and their minus five in turnover ratio. Put all that together, it's just one of those stretch of games where nothing has gone right, uh, whether it's the schedule, injuries, turnovers, or otherwise, and they're trying to figure things out. And obviously, you know, the Bills, is as good as they are, it's, it's going to be a tough week to do that in prime time. John, thanks for the time. We'll see you up here on Sunday. All right, appreciate it, guys. Look forward to it. Hey, Bills fans, get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Just download the app today to play any way you want. Plus, with live betting, you'll get updated odds on games that have already started. Best of all, you'll get paid your winnings fast. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the Buffalo Bills. We transition to the numbers game, where Steve is going to be quizzed on some offensive productivity of the Bills, mainly from last year. We'll see uh, how Steve's short-term memory is on some of these. Steve, question number one, in 2022, there were two receiving targets who were tied for third on the team in targets after Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis. Who were they? Tied In for 2022. 2022, tied for third in passing targets. I will say Dawson Knox. Ding. And James Cook. So close, Steve. Yeah, you want to pick somebody yeah. else? I'll give you a yeah, second. Yeah, Devin Singletary. Nope. Really? It was Isaiah McKenzie. Oh. Both he and Dawson Knox had 65 targets last season. So you get half of it. You get half a point. Question number two. Of the Bills player players who had more than 20 targets last season, who had the highest catch percentage on the roster? Fewest drops. Diggs. It was not Stephon Diggs. Cook. No again. Dawson uh, McKenzie. It's Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox, really? 73.8% on a team that was second in the league in drops. Everybody was dropping the ball last year. Question number three. Which Bills player led the offense in total touches in 2022? (laughs) Josh. No, we're not counting the quarterback. All right. Uh, uh, Total touches. Singletary. Yeah, logically you can get there. It's Singletary with 215 total touches in 2022. And finally in 2022, Steve. Got one right. Were the Bills more successful on third down conversions or fourth down conversions? This is a trick question. It's not a trick. 
I'm just asking you flat out. I thought they, I'm thinking more successful on I'm third down or they fourth might down. Be, that might be the same, but I'm going to say they were 50% on third down, fourth down. I'll say third down. Ah. It's Man, fourth I, down, Steve. I absolutely stunk this week. <laughs> it was close. Fourth down conversions, 53.8%. And as you mentioned, third down's 50.1%. Minutia statistics. Come on, man. Third down and fourth down's not minutia. Get out of here. Next, you're going to be asking about points and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) All right. A little bit of a struggle in numbers game, but we press forward, Steve. (laughs) Thanks for being kind. To our high low picks of the week. High low is a free game to play at fanduel.com for a chance at $10,000 in total prizes. Pick the highest and lowest performing players or teams across various stat categories. The closer you are to actual results, the more points you can get, and the more points means a chance at a bigger prize. Steve, kick us off with a team high scorer for passing yards. I am not above picking the Miami Dolphins for high in passing yards this week. They're facing Carolina. They're winless. They're not going to be able to keep up. And the Dolphins are not going to let up either. I think they're too many weapons, too much good scheme The Panthers for the Panthers to handle. Miami Dolphins, high in passing yards. All right, low for passing yards. I like another AFC East team, the Jets against the Eagles. I think that Eagles pass rush against a reshuffled offensive line for New York is going to spell disaster for the Jets. So New York low for passing yards. All right, high for rushing yards. I'm going to take Kenneth Walker of the Seattle Seahawks. Now, Pete Carroll likes to run it, as we all know that. Walker is his top guy. Add in the fact they're facing the 30th-ranked run defense of the Cincinnati Bengals, and I like it even more. Kenneth Walker of the Seahawks for high in rushing yards. I can't believe the Bengals are 30th against the run. That's unbelievable. Uh, low for rushing yards. I'm taking Rashad White of the Bucks. I think he'll have some receptions in this game, but going up against the number three run defense of the Lions, I think it's going to make for some tough sledding for a rushing offense that ranks just 25th in the league. All right. For me, I'm not happy doing this either, but Tyreek Hill should have a blast against the Carolina Panthers mm. secondary. The Bills may have provided a bit of a blueprint for, to slow Tyreek down because they just you know, they just kept a lid on it, but that didn't help the Giants last week. So probably it's not going to help Carolina either. Uh, so the Cheetah is going to take high for receiving yards. I think he's going to have a monster year, and I think this is one of the games when he's going to pad his stats. Low for receiving yards. I'm going to roll with Marquise Hollywood Brown. He and Josh Jobs have hooked up in the past game on occasion, but I don't think it happens enough against the Rams, even though L.A. is a middle-of-the-pack Defense. Our closing figure deals with the Bills-Giants matchup this week. The Bills are second in the league in point differential at plus 79. Only the 49ers are higher at plus 99. Meanwhile, the Giants are a league-worst minus 91. No other NFL club is within 30 points of that negative figure. The next closest team, the New England Patriots, at minus 60 on the season. That'll do it for this week. Make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast platform you use so you know when the next episode is out. And remember, when you need to know about the Bills, you need to check Bills by the Numbers. For Steve Tasker, I'm Chris Brown. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next week, everybody.